Today we enter into a text. We're just going to look at verses 9 through 13 in chapter 12. But I want you to know that these are scriptures that as we read them and study them, that, that we need to understand that the Apostle Paul and ultimately the Lord is saying that, that these, this description, these marks of Christianity, this is, this is who I want you to be. This is the way I want you as a church, you as a Christian, this is how we want you to be known. One of my favorite things to do is premarital counseling. And thanks to student ministry and, uh, you know, almost 11 years of, of ministry and all, the past several years, I've done around 30 weddings, the last, the last uh, two, two and a half years. And in doing those, I've, you know, learned to, to develop premarital counseling uh, material. One of my favorite nights is, uh, is when we discuss the question of what we desire the culture of our house to be. What, what do we want to be known by as a household, as a couple, as a family? When people come into our home or they uh, you know, experience time with us, what, what do we want them to walk away you know, in their hearts? And, you know, the more that I have looked at that and enjoyed that and, and enjoyed doing that with my own family, this section right here in Romans 12 is the Apostle Paul saying, okay, here is what God calls the culture of the church to be. This is what we're to be known by. And by God's grace, this is what Alberta Baptist Church will, uh, the legacy that we will leave. This is what we'll be known by. So look with me there at the, at the verses. This is Romans chapter 12, nine through 13. I know you just sat down, but can we stand up for the reading of God's word? Can we do it? I know you just sat down. Romans chapter 12, nine through 13. This is the word of our God. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit or be fervent in the Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this great word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I wanna ask if you would to go ahead and get your worship guide out. And we wanna see this gospel-shaped culture that the Lord is gonna give us here in Romans 12. What we are to be known by. You know, culture is a really interesting word and sometimes it's really hard to define and some people call it like an it because it's hard to say, well, culture is this. You, it's hard to describe it, we just know what it feels like. And so one example and then we'll move would be this. If you go to Chick-fil-A 
there is a particular culture. And the culture is, we want to do anything possible to better your experience. We wanna go out of our way to make sure that you feel truly blessed in this line. So like the other day I go to Chick-fil-A and there's somebody here that works there and I, you can explain this to me in a little bit. I, I love it, don't get me wrong. But you pull up and there is like six people taking my order. Like they're everywhere. Like they're like jumping out behind cars, coming over the, the edge of the building. How can we bless you today with chicken? You know, and I'm like, listen, chill out. Like my word. But I mean, they're everywhere. And somehow, I, I don't know how stopping four times is quicker than stopping once at the window, but it seemed effective, okay? And so I, I love it. Point is they go out of their way to bless you eating some fast food. All right. There are other restaurants, which I won't name because I'm going to use a negative, where you go and literally it's like, can somebody take my order? Like, could you, you really want this burger? Yes, I really want that burger. Like, that's why I'm here. You know, where, where you feel, it's still fast food. You're, you're still being served fast food, but it's different. Why? Well, some of you are going to argue taste. We'll go with that later. But my point is this, culture. And, and, and culture is not something like every church ought to be like, we believe the Bible. Every church ought to be like, we're about the great commission. Every church ought to be like, man, we just want to love. But as you well know, that is not always the experience that people walk out with. It's not always the culture of the church. And, and, and so we, we want the culture of our church to be shaped by the gospel be motivated by Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and, and be fueled by the only power that will sustain. And that is the Holy Spirit of God. And so uh, look with me there, a, a gospel-shaped culture. We wanna see, number one, this is what we want our culture to be, a culture of genuine love. <clears throat> Says verse nine, let love be genuine. Now, I am not an excellent student of language. Uh, some of you have been around me long enough that you know how much I struggle with English. And so, so like you understand Greek and Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, probably not gonna be something I just excel in. I do enjoy studying under people who are really good at language, okay? And so one guy that we've been using the entire time is, is Dr. Moo, okay? Uh, Dr. Moo is one that we have been using almost weekly, if not weekly. And something that he said really stood out to me, that, that verse nine there, let love be genuine, that first part, in, in the Greek, it's actually just, it just says this, genuine love, sincere love, non-hypocritical love. It's just a statement. And what we need to do is, is see this, is that genuine love is like the header. Like all of the other culture aspects, that we, everything else that we wanna be, it's gonna fall under genuine love. It's all gonna be done in genuine love. It's gonna be lived out with the heart of genuine love. It's right for the translators to say here in the ESV to say, let love be genuine. Because Paul never wants us just to have, you know, like genuine love and, and us stare at it. He wants us to respond. He wants that to become who we are. People who live a life of genuine love. This, this past week, or actually it was last week, I was reading with my oldest daughter, Lucy, she has, she's in second grade and, and she's really been enjoying 
uh, you know, having learned to read and she loves to read out loud. And so we, we read the Bible together at night and I let her, you know, we're, we're just, we just study a passage together. And so we're reading through the book of John, but on the side of that, I also like her to read out loud whatever passage we're studying this week. And so she, she read her little translation. I, I, I want to say it said, let love be honest and true. You know, just another way, let love be genuine. I said, Lucy, do you know how to explain what that is? And she said, that's like you and mom. There, if you know me at all, you know, there is no part of me trying to toot the horn of what my marriage is like. But will you please hear me? Genuine love is observable. You can see it. And I can assure you my precious four kiddos at home will be far better off in this life because they observe genuine love. It's observable. May people be able to say, man, when you think of genuine love, what do you think of? And they say, Alberta Baptist Church. I think of, I think of ABC. Let that be said of us. See, genuine love is observable. It's, a, it's love that it responds, it acts. It's love that sacrifices, love that serves, love that confronts. It's love that laughs and it's love that cries. That, that's genuine love. See, it might be hard in some ways to define it, but you know what it feels like. You know what it looks like. You know when it's not present. Recently, I received an email from a member of our church. And I, I wanna read for you, this was one of those things, and let me, I'll step aside and say this. If, if you, you know what the, the mirror looks like at your house. You know, sometimes you look in the mirror every day and you, if, you, if you're like me, you see very little change uh, that seems to, take place over time and, and then somebody else might see and say, man, you've really gained a ton of weight or man, you have really slimmed up or man, you really look old or man, you really, I, that kind of thing. I remember when mom was like, man, you were balding. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, but like when you, when you look at yourself every day in the mirror, sometimes even when things are going really well, when the, when the really good changes are taking place, you don't recognize it. And I, as one of your pastors, let, let me say, I, I believe, man, I, I celebrate this church body. I celebrate being a member here. I believe as much as anybody. But there are days when I have felt like I was just staring in the mirror. But then somebody else, somebody else gives a view of what they see. And it can be really helpful. And so let me, let me share with you an email that I received and I won't say who it is and but they said this, although we have not been present at church in several months, I feel compelled to tell you how much I love ABC. The former Open Door and now ABC is the first church I've ever attended where I felt and see God's pure love in the leaders and members. ABC, its leaders and its members are doing an amazing job overall and I would like, here it is, I would like to say I feel loved, I feel wanted, I feel included, 
I feel accepted, I feel needed, and I feel safe. God is truly among you. ABC, this is true, that's what they said, is my favorite place in the world. Now, I read that and gave a few of these right here. Mm, you know, you ever, you ever done that? Pah! Uh, go Lord, you know, I mean, that's that kind of thing. But, but, but listen, I, I cannot say that every day I have felt that that is the case, but I, I see that. I see that. And I, and I amen what was said. My family feels that way. My family feels safe and secure. My, my family feels loved and accepted and needed. And I hope yours does too. That's, that's the gospel at work. Last week we saw in Romans 12 verses three through eight, we saw that God, he, he graciously gives gifts to the members of the body. And all of the body is necessary. All of the body is needed. If your gift seems really small, you, you, you shouldn't let that get you down. Your gift was given by the Lord. It is special and it's needed. But what is so interesting is directly following this text about gifts and how we're to use our gifts to serve is the very first thing, the very first word out of Paul's mouth is, but let love be genuine. Last week, we also used as a partner passage 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is one of the greatest texts on membership of the body and gifts. And directly following this amazing breakdown of gifts given by the Lord to serve the church is 1 Corinthians 13 that we just read. I won't read it all because Kyle did a wonderful job doing such, but I will just point out a couple of things. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but I have not love. I'm like Kobe playing the drums. <laughs> Seriously, it's awful. That, that's, what it's, that's what it's like. It's like just this annoying racket. Like it's like this annoying sound in the background echoing throughout our culture and community when the church says one thing and lives another. It's awful. It's destructive. It pushes people away. It diminishes glory that ought to be proclaimed loudly and boldly. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, if I'm the greatest theologian in the room, that's what he said. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, I'm the most generous person you've ever met. And I'm bold too. I, I'll deliver up my body to be burned. That's big. That, that's a sacrifice. He says, but I have not love. I gain not a thing. Church, hear it. Genuine love is what we are to be known by. And genuine love looks a certain way. We're told love is patient and it's kind. Love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. Like love looks a particular 
way. And for the Christian, we see, and we've already said it this morning, we see love most clearly, not when we gaze our eyes or our attention or fix our attention on other people, but it's when we gaze or we fix our eyes on Jesus. When we see Christ, genuine love is seen most clearly when we look into the depths of the gospel, how deep it is, how wide it is, how tall it is, how wonderful it is. Romans 5, as we studied a few months back, verse 8 says, but God shows his love. He puts it on display. He says, look at it. Here it is. When he, he shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Christ died in our place. First John chapter four, verse 10, in this is love. He's saying, you wanna see love? Here it is. It's not that we have loved God, but it is that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, for him to bear our wrath. Wrath that was mine that Jesus took on himself. He drank the full cup so I don't have to. In 1 John 4, John finishes that statement and says what Paul's saying here. He says, beloved or church, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus, of course, with his disciples, John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now that that had always been a, a command that we love one another, but Jesus is gonna elevate this. Grace always is gonna go above the law. He says that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's big. Church, if we're known by loving one another like Jesus has loved us, that will be a love that will get echoed. It will get communicated to the far corners of this earth. And I know the earth is round. Thank you. Uh, I want you to see that under this culture of genuine love will be the rest today. So as we think about genuine love, what do we want our gospel-shaped culture to look like. So number one, genuine love. Number two, a culture of repentance. Now, Paul finishes this, uh, this statement here. I just got to flip back over. There we go. He, he finishes it. Let love be genuine. And as soon as he finishes that, as soon as he says genuine love, he says, now I want you to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. To best translate that for you, I want you to understand abhor the word that's used. It is like to exceedingly hate. And you know, like people are like, man, Christians are not supposed to hate. Let, let me be clear with you. Christians are to hate only what God hates. And there are certain things that God does hate. And evil is one of them. And it's really it. God hates evil. He is able to take even what he hates and use it 
to bring about glory and good. But the Lord hates evil and so should we. He says, exceedingly hate what is evil in the context of genuine love. Let love be genuine as we're against what destroys, as we're against what breaks down good. And let us hold fast, or that is actually the same word as cling, the word that's used like for the marriage covenant. Cling to what is good. Don't let go of it, ever. Cling to good. Genuine love will never desire to lead someone to evil. And it will never allow one to be destroyed by it without a fight. Nor will genuine love avoid leading one to what would be good or godly for them. Like genuine love is, brings about a culture of repentance. And when I say repentance, I just just mean turning to Jesus, looking to Christ, following him, constantly evaluating, am I walking in line with the spirit? Am I walking in line with the Lord? That's in everything that we do. And as part of loving somebody well, it is pointing them to be who Christ desires to finally make them. And that is Jesus Christ. Point them to Jesus. The greatest thing I can say to any couple would be push one another into Christ who Christ is finally making you. If you're a Christian, push them to the Lord, push them to Christ's likeness. And that's the greatest thing we can say as a church. And I'm not going to go into details here, but we need to evaluate our life and we need to think about one as an individual, but also those that we love. I need to love myself enough to abhor what's evil. And to love myself enough and love the Lord to cling to what's good. Those in my family. Listen, I got three daughters. I have three daughters and a little baby boy. And I I want nothing more than to have a life for them where I have removed all evil. And they just get to walk in good. Like like that's what I want for them. And I have to understand the, the Lord desires their good in a far greater way than I do. But in the same way that I desire their lives. To not be then just locked in a closet somewhere. No, I want them out in the midst of the world, in the midst of culture, making a difference for the glory of God. I'm gonna have to believe that the Lord will lead them by his spirit to be able to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. That that should be the culture of our church. Repentance. Under a gospel-shaped culture that's under genuine love, not only repentance, but thirdly, we should have a culture of family. Should be a culture of family. Look at verse 10. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, that, that is a phrase that is just saying this, like love one another as family. And there's an entirely different sermon that we can have where we talk about, you know, the, the blood-bought family and those in Christ and how it actually exceeds, it's actually greater than the, uh, you know, the blood family on earth. Like we, we could discuss that. Today, I'll, I just want to draw the point that, that, that in Christ, we're family and we should be known by others because of the way we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Now, I thought that one of the greatest things I could do for you is just tell my own story at Alberta Baptist. And that, and that is this, is that I, I came here on staff when I was 23 years old. And uh, I'm 30, 34 now. I was 23 years old when I came here. So like I am literally one year out of college. <clears throat> In that 11 years, I have had this body of people, and I know this body is growing. Uh, some of you I've never even met before, but this body of believers that is Alberta Baptist Church has taken me and loved me and allowed me to love them and has helped shape who I am as a man and help shape who I am as a father and as a husband and as a friend in ways that no one else has. I, I have truly, it, it is a family here. I, I, I have had, we'll see next week, we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep. I, I've had you rejoice with me. I've had you weep with me. I've had you walk directly with my family through really hard times and celebrate really wonderful times and everything in between. And as somebody that, you know, from 23 to 34, if I got any wisdom for you, I would say this. If you're looking for a church home, and some of you are, and if you're having a hard time, you've been here and you're having a hard time plugging into a church home, I'm gonna tell you, you gotta embrace the gospel family. It's important that you like the preaching, and it is. I hope, I hope we deliver it in the best that we possibly can week after week. I hope every teacher in this church, I hope that is so important to you, and we better be teaching truth. It better be dead on, but listen to me. Outside of that, you need to understand how important it is to connect your life to gospel family. Don't get in the habit, as Kyle said, of just being in a row. The rose is important. I love the rose. I get excited about the rose. That's why I'm up here right now. I love it. But listen to me. You got to get out of a row to find a family. You, you won't be able to have what we're talking about if you just stay in a row. And for me, I'm going to be honest with you. There was eight years of student ministry where I found community most of the time with youth and I found community with youth parents and that was wonderful and I'm forever grateful. But these last three years have better shaped my life because I have found community in a multi-generational body. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call in a couple, Billy and Doris Barton for knew them for eight years. We said, hey, we were I'm sure in some ways encouraging to each other, but these last three years, they mean more to me than I can describe. They help shape and change my life. They encourage me week after week and I believe by God's grace, I get to encourage them. You don't get that if you just stick in a row. There are people that will change your life. I've, I've learned to pastor a church where I feel like I, I, I pastor a, a good many grandmothers, granddaddies, mamas, dads. My, my parents are actually coming to Alberta now, but I, it's been a long time that I've had daddies in this church. I don't think that's far from what the Lord says um, in, in the book of Mark. And you'll remember this, this is with the rich young ruler 
Peter, who's the outspoken one, gets upset and said, well, Lord, who, who can be saved? Like we've left everything. We've left our homes. We've left this. We've left that. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, there's a community, there's a family that you're going to have with following me that will multiply mamas and daddies and houses and farms. He throws in farms there. Uh, brothers and sisters by a hundredfold. That's the church. We ought to be known as family. And can I just say, sometimes, sometimes like family gets a little tough. Like it's hard to love family sometimes. You don't get to pick your brothers and sisters in your family and you don't always get to pick your brothers and sisters in your church unless you bring them, okay? That's how it goes. My, my, my sweet little daughter, Hazel, she's probably the most outspoken person in my family. And if you know me, that should scare you. Uh, Hazel likes to walk around and she says this. It gets on my nerves, but I'm gonna say it anyway because it's hilarious for this. But she comes up all the time and she'll say, I don't like you. I love you. Like that's what she says. She does like over and over again. I don't like you. I love you. And I'm like, no, you do like me. You just love me too. You know, that kind of thing. But I mean, if we're honest, Hazel's got a little truth in there. (laughs) Sometimes we don't like a brother and we don't like a sister but let's love each other well. And I think we should like each other too, okay? But you know, it ain't always easy. We should be known as a family. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Hey, the next culture there is humility, a culture of humility. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Like to me, those are words that speak to my competitive nature. Like it's like, you know, go beat John Matthews and being kind to somebody else. So like when this is over, I'm beating you, John. I'm getting to the second row before you do. You know, that kind of thing. Like it's outdo one another in showing honor, but do it in humility. I'm gonna beat you in, in a, with a humble heart. Uh, <laughs> Philippians 2 says what Paul is communicating here. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And this, my friends, is having this mind among yourselves. It is the very mind of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I'm telling you, if we, if we were known as a people who we did not respond from selfish ambition or conceit, but we humbled ourselves and we counted the next person, the person in front of us is more significant than we are, game changer. That'll change your office, that'll change your family, that'll change your life. If, if we live that out, if we, yes, we can consider our own interest, but we don't just consider our own interest, we consider also the interests of others. It'll change everything. And in a multicultural, not multicultural, I hope we gain, listen, let us become a multicultural body uh, and be known for that as well. But as a multi-generational church body, which we are, humility is gonna have to come into play. And so we've said this before, I'll say it again. If you are a person who you cannot, and I'm speaking to myself, you cannot learn from a saint, from a Christian that is older than you, repent, Dear me, like repent. Like if you can't show grace and learn from somebody that's older than you, get a grip on your life. But listen, if you're a a Christian who you struggle learning 
from somebody that's younger than you and struggles seeing the grace of God in their life, you need to repent as well. This should be a place where we are growing together, learning from each other, and we're outdoing one another in showing honor. Number five, a culture of excitement, of excitement. Verse 11 says, do not be slothful, don't be lazy in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now, I'm gonna give you what I believe is the translation here. And I wrestled with it a lot over the past couple of days. I believe given the language that it is probably what is footnoted in, in your Bible. If, you, if you're an ESV person, it is footnoted. Uh, some of you, it may be in your translation, but, but it is not just in your spirit, but it is, uh, it is be excited in the Holy Spirit. Be fervent in the capital S spirit. What he's saying in here is this, the, the word zeal can be translated like set on fire. You know, like, like don't be lazy with your zeal. Don't, don't let your fire be quenched. It's kind of what the phrase is there. But the next statement is be fervent in the Holy Spirit. Allow the spirit to work inside you to overflow, to set you on fire for the service of the Lord. That, that's what this phrase is. And, and so the reason why we're using, I felt lame almost saying excitement, but, but the point here is, is this, is this should be a, a culture where as a church, we are excited about what God's doing in us and around us, what he's doing through us, what God desires to do in the community what God desires to do in this faith family. We should be excited about it. We shouldn't grow lazy. No, we should be pumped. We should be going all out. We should be going down swinging. Like that's what I wanna do. And I pray I will. People told me before, they said, your energy is gonna burn out one day. I hope not. I might need to go to bed earlier. But I hope my energy for the Lord that he is, as Paul says in Colossians 1, that energy that is toiling within us, I hope it gets stronger and greater and I'm more hyper in Jesus in 50 years than I am right now. That's what I wanna see happen. Let's go down swinging with excitement for the glory of God and the good of his people. Man, be set on fire by the spirit. Number six, let this be a culture of hope. Let it be a culture of hope. It says in verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Yesterday, had one of those moments that I, I did deep in my, uh, my family status with one of my favorite people in this church body, but Donna, Donna Holbrook. Her sweet mama passed away yesterday, uh, about, about two o'clock. And we were at the little family room at the, the ER. I've been there numerous times and it's been a place that I, I don't wanna see, but yet it's also been a place that I've recognized God's power and grace. Uh, and it, it was a place yesterday that I, I watched somebody have to step into clinging to a hope. Uh, like I watched it happen. We have to rejoice. We have to find joy 
in hope. So it doesn't say rejoice in the circumstance you're in. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. It says rejoice in hope. Like hope exists outside of the room. Like hope exists outside of even this world. But yet by God's grace and because of his power and the very presence of his son through the Holy Spirit of God, his hope is here. And it's being communicated loudly and boldly through this book, through his word. I want you to know that hope is something that we ought to be marked by. The culture of Alberta Baptist Church and the, cult, the culture of his church ought to be hope. It ought to be observable. And you know what's sad about this is oftentimes the way it's observable is because we're walking through pain. I want to read for you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians Chapter four, verse 16, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. As we look to the hope proclaimed for us, it is visible here in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's be a people where our culture is known as one of hope. Lastly, a culture of generosity. Culture of generosity. Paul says in verse 13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, This is something that I know for many, we like to put off on a very, very small number of people, okay? And it's easy to do in a church. So like you can have a ministry of the church, which we do, helping hands ministry, a ministry of the church that specifically that they desire to meet needs of those who are uh, down, out, struggling, uh, in need, desire to be a a partner in the church and say, we're gonna contribute as the church to where you are and help you get back on your feet. Wonderful ministry. But sometimes I think we like to compartmentalize the calling of the body. And so we like to think of contributing to the saints that are in need That is helping hands. That's what they do. Just to point it out, we never do that with holiness. We never do that with other aspects of our calling. We never say, well, this right here is actually just for one small group. We're just gonna let them be the small group of holiness. We'll let this be the small group that contributes to the needs of the saints. We'll let this be. We don't do that and neither does the Lord. Some people have a gift of generosity. And to be honest with you, some people have the means to be more generous than others as far as in number, maybe not in heart, but God has certain people. He blesses a particular way to be generous in the body, but he calls all of us to generosity because our Lord is the most generous in all of the universe. 
he has given us a son. And of all people on this earth, Christians ought to be generous. Second Corinthians eight, I'll, I'll read this quickly. This is Paul, once again, he's, he's writing to a group of people and he's referring to that uh, there, were, there was a church that went up and beyond. They, they reached, they sacrificed, they had to take on some pain so that they could meet needs of another church. And this is the way that he says this, Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse seven. He says, as you excel in everything, and I, and I, I wanna be clear, we, I think we excel in a lot of things. But let's hear this from the Lord. As we excel in, you name it. He says with the church that he's writing to in Corinth, he says, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you. He says, see that you also excel in this grace. It's the grace of generosity. See that you also excel in this grace. It's a grace to the church to give. It's a grace to our lives to give. It changes our hearts for the good to look more like Jesus Christ. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Man, we've seen that today, hadn't we? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. There's not a Christian in the house that's not rich in the Lord. Man, let that overflow, let that overflow. That's the culture. To close our time right now, I'm gonna give you a response. And the response, honestly, is this, is to do what we've had given to us, but I'm gonna give you a frame to work in. And the frame is the vision of ABC. Like you wanna know how should I respond? It's the way that our very, the reason why we exist, the thing that we proclaim that we want you to know the Lord, we want you to know God, find community and live on mission. And I want you to see that that's here before us. One, know God and his glorious gospel. That is the motivation for everything we do. Like, like the motivation and the power necessary is given to us through the gospel of Jesus. We want you to know God. We want you to be baptized in Christ and follow him and give your life to serve him and to be a blessing to the world, to make a difference, to know God. Secondly, we want you to find community. And just hear me, you can't live out the one another commands outside of relationships with people. Amen. You can't be obedient to his word outside of community. And there, I love this phrase in life group leaders. If you're getting ready to meet tonight, you're ready to kick off tonight, think about this phrase. People are one or two friends away from the greatest community they've ever experienced. They are one or two friends away from feeling the safest in the church they've ever felt, from having the best community they've ever experienced. And people are one or two conversations away from a friend. Give them an atmosphere. Let's make room in our lives for friends, for family. Let's make room in our lives for gospel community. So know God, find community. And man, live on mission. 
always have people, every time we do like a vision message, like people say, well, I don't know how to live it out. One of the greatest things I can tell you to do is connect your life to other people and seek by the power of the spirit, how you can use your gifts to serve them how you can make the room a better place, how you can make, uh, you know, use your lives to better someone else, to be a blessing, to make a difference. Start there, start there. Don't think you gotta be asked to be on the finance team. That's a, that's a gift set and you, we need you, but that ain't the only place to serve. Serve one another. And as you do that, you are my friends living on mission. Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray that.